Go ahead and get in your Bibles to the book of Esther. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. George, can you turn up the monitors? Um, uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Colossians chapter number 4. We, we've, for the last several weeks, we have been going through the book of Colossians. And if you... Uh, if you are one of the folks who came uh, to New Grace via New Horizon, you remember we probably, uh, years and years ago, we went through Colossians, and we kind of went verse by verse, and I think we spent like six months on it and got through chapter one, and so we're not doing that this time. We're going to go in section by section and taking huge chunks of it, but we're, we're looking at this, this letter, and the purpose of this letter, of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, is to try to correct some issues that they were having that were causing them to take Jesus out of his proper place of preeminence. Uh, and every one of us, Paul's argument here, is every one of us were created by God and we were, we were created for God. We weren't created for ourselves, we weren't created for our children or our spouses or anybody else. We were created by Jesus for Jesus, to fellowship with him, to serve him, and worship him. And then Paul says, not only were we created by Jesus for Jesus, but Jesus went first for us in salvation. He came to us. He didn't make us jump through a bunch of hoops. He doesn't make us try to be good enough or, or strong enough or worthy enough or give enough. Jesus loved us so much that he knew we couldn't do any of that, so he made the first move on our part. He came to us with the gospel. That's, that's the good news of the gospel. God does not accept us because we are good enough or generous enough. He accepts us because he loves us. And his, his love and acceptance are a free gift of Jesus. And Paul says, because of that, because of his, his love for us before we deserved it or could earn it, or even we're thinking about it, because we were created by him and for him, because of all that, he should be first in our lives. He should be preeminent in our lives. And putting Jesus first in our lives, it means putting his kingdom and his mission first in every area of our lives, in our time, in our talent, and in our treasure. See, what God is doing is he is teaching us in this book that putting him first has everything to do with our priorities. And we all have priorities in life. We have family priorities. We have job priorities. We have hobbies we have to do. We have all these things that take up our time. Some of them are, are important. Some of them are just things for enjoyment or relaxation. And they're not wrong in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with us having these priorities. But we run into trouble when we allow these priorities to steal the priority away from God in our relationship with Christ. When He is not our only priority. Of course, you know, I've used the, the bucket illustration and I promised April I would not bring the bucket out again, but it's in the back and I can get it if I need to. 
But we all have these buckets we live our life with. And we have the Jesus bucket and our family bucket and our career bucket and our money bucket. And we have all these buckets. And the problem is we think we're doing good when Jesus is the first and biggest bucket. And we've got these other buckets behind him. But, of course, we said the problem is Jesus is never our first bucket. He's usually last and smallest. But even if he was, even if our Jesus bucket was the biggest bucket and the first bucket... The issue isn't that we have this Jesus bucket and these other buckets in their place. The problem is there should be no other buckets. Everything should be found in him. Because those other buckets, that's where we find our joy and our security and our provision and our protection and our comfort. And all those things should be found in Christ. See, Jesus doesn't want to be your top priority. He wants to be your only Priority. And we put him in his place of proper priority, of, of preeminence. He takes care of everything else. And the reason Paul spends so much time talking about these other things is because he knows that all those other things we spend time on, all those other things we try to put in priority and try to put in their proper place, they are competitors in our heart for the affection of God. And these things should, are, are taking away our, our desire to walk with God. And until your walk with God penetrates every area of your life, Paul says you're deceiving yourself about your faith. He, he begins his conclusion in chapter 4 of Colossians. So Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse number 2. The Bible says, Continue in prayer. And watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Now in this, this passage here, Paul he gives us three commands from God, that Paul says, if you do these three things, it will help you ensure that you are putting Christ in the proper place of preeminence in your life. And here's the three, one of the, the three things he tells us. Number one, he says, continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. And Paul tells us three things specifically we should pray for. He doesn't just say, hey guys, Keep on praying for whatever you're praying for. You know, pray for, for health and pray for safety and pray for that hedge of protection. And, you know, this, this week when we drove down to Florida and drove back, we, we prayed before we drove. And, you know, I prayed that God give us a hedge of protection prayer. And I thought, you know, God, I don't want a hedge of protection. I want tanks of protection. Keep us safe. But he says, he doesn't just, just keep praying. He goes, there are three specific things that we as God's children who are trying to put him first in our life, we should pray for. The first one is for wisdom to fulfill the obligations of the gospel. For wisdom to fulfill the obligations of the Bible. Look at verse number four again. He says that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul, he wanted wisdom to know how to fulfill the particular 
obligations that God had given to Paul to help build the kingdom of God. Paul believed that God had given him a particular and a personal assignment in the kingdom of God. Earlier on in Colossians, he called it a commission. A stewardship. It was something that was given to him by God, and he knew that if he didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. Every believer has been given a commission for the kingdom of God by God. You, as a child of God, have a job that God has for you to do. Specifically. Now, we all like to think that there's these corporate jobs. Well, God's called us all to worship and all to give and all. But yeah, yeah, there are jobs that the whole body does. But there's a job that God has for you and you only to do to build his kingdom. Not every part of the mission is assigned to you. But some part of the mission is assigned to you. Some part has your name on it. And you are responsible. You are obligated to fulfill that commission. And the Bible says that if we don't complete the job God's given for us, God considers it wicked. God considers it stealing. See, why is it stealing? Because everything you have... Your, your, your talents, your, your health, your, your provision, everything you have, God has given you to complete His job in His kingdom. And if you don't use it for His job in His kingdom, you're stealing from Him. There are people in your life that God has placed them for you to share the gospel with. Not everybody else. It's not my job to come to your friends and try to share the gospel. God put them in your for you to share the gospel with them. You've been given certain gifts, certain talents, certain resources to use them for the kingdom of God. And Paul says that's the first thing that we should pray for, for wisdom to know what it is God has for us to do, what it is that the job that God has given us. I don't know about you. But I find it encouraging that Paul needs God to give him clarity about his gospel assignment. You know, it's encouraging because we don't always know exactly what it is that God wants us to do. You know, we've all had those moments where we're not exactly sure what God's trying to do or trying to get us into his life. You know, does, does God want me to share Christ with this person or, or maybe someone else? Does, does God want me to get involved in this ministry at the church? Does God want me to give to this particular part of the ministry? And there are two sources of comfort for us in moments like this. The first source of comfort is the fact that we are sheep. And sheep are stupid. Sheep, left to themselves are going to get lost and die. Sheep need a shepherd to guide them. And God, as our shepherd, has promised to guide us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But it's also encouraging that throughout Scripture, God uses whatever instrument he chooses to accomplish his purpose. His purpose. 
He's used burning bushes. He's used angels. He's used plagues. He's used murderers. He's used liars. And he's even used dumb donkeys. I won't use the biblical name there. Aren't you glad God still uses dumb donkeys today? Because that means God can use all of us. God can use anything that is willing to be used for his purpose. And God had a purpose for Paul. And Paul prayed for wisdom to know what it was so he could fulfill the mission God had for him. That's not the first thing he prayed for. He also prayed for the ability to pursue new opportunities. Look at verse number 3. It says, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Now, by this time in his life and his ministry, Paul had done a lot. He'd been on missionary journeys. He'd started churches. He discipled people. He had people get saved. He'd, he'd spent a lot of time in prison. He testified of God before the Roman rulers. And if there was anyone that could look at their life as they're sitting in prison for the gospel and say, I've done my part, it was Paul. But he was asking God to open up new opportunities for him. In the parable of the sheep, Jesus says there's more joy in one sinner that's saved than in 99 that need no repentance. That meant that for Paul, as long as there was breath in his body, he was going to keep looking for ways to reach that one. He was going to look for opportunities that God was giving him to reach that one. He wasn't done. As long as he was alive, and he would, he would never be done. He wasn't trying to grow a mega church. He was trying to go after one. If you're here this morning, and you're alive this morning, and you're a child of God this morning, I don't care what you have accomplished for God in the past, God still has something for you. We are never done sharing the gospel until we see Jesus Christ face to face. Well, you don't understand, I've, I've served God for 50 years and I'm in retirement. Doesn't matter. You're still alive, you're still useful to God. You're so needed by God. He still has something for you. And Paul, he's in prison, waiting to be executed for the gospel. And he says, pray that I will see opportunities. I can continue to serve God right up until they kill me. He wanted every opportunity to serve God. He understood a valuable truth. Eternity is real and lost people matter to God. Didn't matter how many people he'd, he'd witnessed to. Didn't matter how many churches he started. Didn't matter how many people had accepted Christ as their Savior. Because of his ministry up to this point, he still wanted that one. That should be our goal. Not to build a mega church or to be the biggest church in Roanoke. Our goal as a church and our goal as believers should be to use every breath, every opportunity to keep serving God and to keep striving to win one more for His glory. doesn't matter how many members we gain from other churches. 
It matters how many people we share the gospel with. You know, it may not be good for the size of our church, but it's vital for the kingdom of God. Because we're not here to build our church. We're here to be faithful, to respond to the ones that God brings to us and the ones that God sends us to. You know, too many churches have a field of dreams mentality, you know. If you build it, they will come. Build a great big building. Do all this stuff, then, then they will come but that's wrong. See, God builds his church. And he does it through us going to the lost and sharing the story of his redeeming love with them. You know, if we see thousands of people saved and discipled and sent out to serve God in Roanoke, but we never grow over 200 people, I'm fine with that because we are doing it for God's kingdom and God's glory. We need to seek opportunities to share the gospel. Like Paul, we need to pray for God to open up new doors of opportunity to serve him and to share the gospel with the lost. But then there's a third thing he prayed for. The third thing was to, for strength not to waste his circumstances. Look at verse number three. Again, he says, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Paul was literally in chains. He was literally in prison, chained up, waiting to face charges in the gospel. But he saw his circumstances not as a terrible thing that happened to him or a bad situation he got stuck with. He saw his circumstances as being divinely arranged by God for the sake of the gospel. Prison was arranged by God for him to share the gospel with other people. So he asked the Colossians to pray that he has the strength and the wisdom not to waste his circumstances, not to waste his chains. Most of us are not in physical chains, but what if we saw our circumstances the same way? What if regardless of the situation you are in, you saw those circumstances as divinely appointed by God to spread the gospel, to build His kingdom. That's the, that's the promise that God has given to a follower of Christ. The things in your life may not be easy, but they are directed for the spread of the gospel. Maybe you're sick because God wants you to show your family, your friends, the doctors, that you have hope beyond your physical strength. Maybe you didn't get the job that you wanted so you can show the world that your identity is not tied up in, in what you do, but your identity is found in Christ and who you are in Him as a child of God. Maybe you didn't get the raise you wanted because God wants to teach you the value of things that really matter. Paul was in chains and he was still looking for what God was doing. He saw every setback as a setup from God. So we need to ask ourselves, why has God placed us in the situations that he has? There was a man that lived in the 16th century that has impacted our faith more than anyone else that we've heard of. His name was Humphrey Monmouth. Anyone ever heard of Humphrey Monmouth? Okay, anybody heard of William Tyndale? 
Who's heard of William Tyndale? William Tyndale, of course, is credited with the first English translation of the Bible. We have an English translation of the Bible today because of William Tyndale. But really, we have an English translation of the Bible today because of Henry Monmouth. When Tyndale set out to translate the scriptures into English for the common person, he needed a lot of things. He needed Hebrew and Greek texts. He needed some textbooks. He needed some dictionaries. But he needed a lot more than that because what he was doing was opposed by the church of the day. The religious leaders of the day were opposed to the common man receiving the word of God in their language, and so they were out to stop him. So he needed some income. He needed someone to help feed him and shelter him and protect him and take care of him, and that's where Humphrey Monmouth came in. He was a wealthy merchant, and he provided everything that Tyndale needed to complete his work without worry or distraction. When the religious elite started putting pressure to try to find Tyndale and stop him, he paid to have him sent to, to Europe to complete his work in safety. Once Tyndale finished, Monmouth used his fleet of ships to spread the Tyndale Bible all across Europe and all across England. We have an English translation of the Bible because a believer understood that his circumstances of being with having resources and having connections and having all these things that he had, that he saw those things as a way and a situation that God had placed him in to build the kingdom of God. And God does the same thing today. He gives some people vision and he gives other people the resources and the talent to achieve the vision. God has given you what He has. God has placed you where He has. God has put you in the situation that you are in to bless others and to build His kingdom. Not to bless ourselves. Not to bless our family. Not to build our kingdoms. Our kingdoms have to fall so His kingdom can rise. But maybe... You're not in a season of joy or success, and you don't feel like you can give what others can, and that, that's fine too. One preacher said this. He says, when God Abrahams me, when, when God enriches and multiplies you, he says, when God Abrahams me, I want to be faithful to that. But when God jobs me, when you feel that God has taken things from you, I want to be faithful to that too. Faithfulness in either of those situations, in either of those seasons, looks different, but you can put Christ first no matter what season you're facing in your life. When you're Job's season, putting God first and putting Jesus in His proper place is a simple matter of faith. You, not, you may not know how you're going to make it another day, and you put Jesus first, you have to trust Him and test Him. And God gives us a promise when things are hard that He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. That He will always be there to take care of us. You know, we get to see that He always keeps His promise. In the Job seasons of life, we get to see that God is faithful. 
We get to see that God is always there taking care of us and providing for us and protecting us and giving us grace and mercy and what we need. And that's what trusting Jesus looks like. Being faithful to Him, as faithful to Him as He is to us. Whatever circumstances you're in today, we are to obey God, to put Him first, and to use those circumstances to build His kingdom and spread the gospel. Paul's first instruction is to pray for Him, to be able to make Jesus first and His kingdom first in everything that Paul does, in his gospel obligations, his gospel opportunities, and his gospel circumstances. That is to be our prayer for ourselves and others as well. But there's a second command Paul gives us, and it's this. Not only pray, walk in wisdom. Number five, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. After you've prayed for clarity for God to show you what He wants you to do, what your job is in the kingdom of God, to see the opportunities He's given you, to not waste the circumstances He's placed you in. Walking in wisdom means that you are aware of the brief time we have to accomplish the will of God. It's the wisdom David prayed for in Psalms 90 when he said, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. David prayed for God to help him understand how brief life was so that David would have the right priorities. So that David said, God, remind me how little time I have so I make sure I put your kingdom first. So I make sure you are the only priority. It's the wisdom that Paul says David lived with in Acts chapter 13 when he said, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. David fulfilled his purpose, and then he went to be with Jesus. That's what I want said of me. He did what he was, what he was sent here to do, and now he's home with the Savior. Are we living with that kind of wisdom? Have you understood or perceived the brevity of life and the preciousness of the moments that you have in it? Are we working at the task that God has given you to build His kingdom? Because His kingdom is the only thing that lasts and is the only thing that matters. You know, the younger we are, the longer we think we have. You know, we're, we're, we're in our, our teens, we think, man, 40's ancient. I got all the time in the world. Your 20s, 40s, still old, but it's not that old, and still think you got time. 30s are starting to think, oh, maybe it's that, that. You know, you're 40, 42, 45, and you're like, you know what, 40s not that old. I feel that old, but it's really not that old. The younger we are, the more time we think we have. But the fact is, even if you live to be 100 years old, in the span of eternity, it's nothing. It's no time at all. So we should use that time to build His kingdom. Isaiah says that our earthly lives are like messages written in the sand. The tide soon washes it away. Jesus said, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. And as I've said before in the series, 
The only things in life that really matter are the kingdom of God and the souls of men. And that's what we're to invest our time in. That's what Paul means when he says, walk in wisdom. Understand how precious time is and use it to fulfill his will. So since he tells us to walk in wisdom, that means it's possible for us to walk in foolishness. So how do we walk foolishly? That's not taking eternity into account. That's investing our, our time and our treasure and our talent, investing all of we ha- what we have here in things that will not last. Spending your life building your own kingdom only to have it vanish with you. Walking foolishly means spending your life focused on keeping yourself comfortable and secure. Walking in wisdom means realizing your life is a gift from God, but it's short and should be used to invest in eternity. But then there's a third thing Paul tells us to do. Not only continue in prayer and walk in wisdom, but number three, pay attention. Look at verse number two again. Continue in prayer and watch in the same way with thanksgiving. As much as Paul had accomplished He was always on the lookout on what God wanted to do next through his life. Never put a period where God puts a comma. Paul knew God wasn't done. Jesus still cared for that one wandering sheep. And look, God's done some amazing things in the life of new grace, but he's far from done. He's just getting started. See, There are new people in Roanoke every single day. New people moving here, new people coming here, there are new people to reach, there are new lives to change, there's new brokenness to heal, and he's done some amazing things in and through the lives of each of us, but he's not done. He has more for each of us to do. Just because you are faithful to God in one area doesn't mean he won't send another area for you to be faithful in as well. We are to look for what God wants us to do. No matter how old you are, no matter what you're going through, if you're still here, God has something for you to do. We are to look for it. Paul had done enough. He planted churches, he spread the gospel, and now he's in jail because of the ministry. But he's still looking for what God wanted to do in and through him. He knew God wasn't finished, so he wasn't either. You know, our lives are complicated. We all have obligations we have to watch after. Sadly, these obligations can turn into priorities and we end up putting them above God or we try to put them on the same level as God. God is not a priority. God is the only priority. And Paul shows us how to make sure that that's a principle that we live out. Continue in prayer. Walk in wisdom and stay alert for ways to serve Him and to build His kingdom.